You're listening to Science Drives and Wellness Steers. It's season two. I'm your host, Allie Diesenhouse-Kellner. I've been the clinical director of Magnificent Minds, a private school and therapy center for over a decade, and have been supporting teachers, therapists, and parents of spirited kiddos with complex needs for even longer. Think autism, ODD, OCD, trauma, anxiety, learning disabilities, Down syndrome. There's beauty and diversity, folks. Professionally, I'm a bit of an enigma with formal training in counseling psychology and applied behavior analysis. I don't fit neatly into a box. I combine my love for science with my connection to the pursuit of wellness and somehow make sense of worlds that to some may seem at odds. I'm a hippie at heart. I avoid pseudoscience, gluten, and bad vibes. I'm a political advocate and a passionate writer who often puts her foot in her mouth. I'm a sometimes frazzled, not always put together mom, boss lady, and wife who, despite knowing what I should do most of the time, finds myself winging it and trusting my intuition. If it strikes your fancy, you can find out more about my education and credentials at magnificentminds.ca. There, you can sign up for my newsletter and we can stay connected. Find me on Instagram at magminds and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Screenshot this episode, tag me, and share the love. If you're new here, welcome to the community. Hello friends, I am so excited to be back in action. It has been a hot minute since I recorded a podcast. There has been so much going on, so much going on with me personally, so much going on in the world around us. Um, Let me catch you up. So since the last time I moved, um, I can't believe that it has been that long since I've recorded, but it has. I am so happy and proud to say that I am now upgraded from recording in my closet to in my very own home office moving up in the world, um, still dealing with the same uh, day-to-day podcasting struggles like finding a quiet place, even though I have my own office, and finding the time, frankly, with everything that's going on. We are right now at the beginning of the launch of season two of Science Drives Wellness Deers, which is unbelievable. I am so grateful to be able to check the stats on this podcast. And even when I haven't been recording, um, I am so humbled to see how many people are accessing this podcast all over the world. Um, Speaking of worldwide, we are right now in complete lockdown in Ontario. The COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic is real. Uh, Our entire clinic and school has been shut down. Um, We are offering only online services. I am working strictly from home, but that is not necessarily unexpected because not only are we in a worldwide, mostly definitely Ontario-wide, and definitely countrywide lockdown, but I am in my own lockdown because I just had a baby. Um, I am four weeks postpartum right now, so I am sitting here recording this podcast with a four-week-old babe on my arm. So forgive me if you hear little baby coos or worse. Um, If you hear rumblings, it's probably his diaper. And you can bet that I'm probably pausing this podcast at least once to clean up some spit up or nurse or change a diaper. So as much as you are in the thick of it when it comes to parenting in the face of this COVID-19 
craziness, know that I am right there with you. I am homeschooling my JKer. I am, like I said, four weeks postpartum with a newborn. I have my husband home all day, my two and a half year old home all day. Um, it's been absolutely wild and it's also been amazing and I am so filled with gratitude for uh, the ability to have my entire family home with me during my quote-unquote mat leave. Not that entrepreneurs really get a mat leave, but regardless, I am so thrilled to have them all here with me and it is just a bit of sunshine in what is an otherwise stormy reality of this crazy coronavirus that is just at the forefront of everybody's mind. However, what better segue than that to talk about the importance of mindset and the importance of your day-to-day -day practices when it comes to creating the life you want, that pursuit of happiness, getting closer to those goals that you are working towards, and generally killing it in your life, making sure you are empowered, confident, and frankly, feeling well. I mean, that's at least half of what this podcast is all about, if not more. Wellness. How do we pursue wellness and how do we use science to drive the boat or the car? However you like that analogy, I'm good with it. Let's use science to drive that ship and let's pursue wellness. So what I want to do is talk about something that I have seen all over Instagram and all over Pinterest and Facebook and all of the social media out there. It is this attitude of gratitude. It is the, what I want to call for this episode, manifestation culture, okay? What is manifestation culture? It is this crazy paradigm shift that I am seeing all over the internet that I actually love, and you might be surprised to hear that, because it is not just a mindset shift, it is a lifestyle shift. For such a long time, I struggled with reconciling how to complete, how to reconcile my complete and total trust in divine order and my strong magnetism towards grounding myself in scientific facts, validated truths, and frankly, avoidance of pseudoscience. I've always been fascinated by exploring the world views that exist out there. I actually spent years studying religious ideologies and even spent several summers in a religious seminary, if you can believe it. I've never been a particularly religious person, but I've always been fascinated by the meeting point of old and new ideas, and in particular, when they relate to how we conceptualize ourselves in the big picture. In my undergrad, which is when I spent the time in seminary that I did, I was an extremely wanderlust and inquiring mind. I studied the ancient texts of philosophy. I read a lot. I was looking for meaning in seemingly random acts of life, as many of us are when we're finding ourselves in those sort of early 20s, late teens, and I was trying to figure out where do I fit into this world that is existing around me and how do I create the life I want? What would the foundation of my worldview be down the road and how do I start paving the way now so that I can get there? It was Aristotle who said, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. So for me, that was enough. That to me said, you need to study everything. You need to learn as much as you can. You need to absorb the world around you. And just because you're studying it 
doesn't necessarily mean you're going to become a chameleon and, and adopt everything you learn. And that's one of the things that really led me to actually study in seminary, to be immersed in this culture of individuals who were, you know, for lack of a better sort of explanation, much more religious than I am and than I was. But I was so fascinated with the experience and so curious about the philosophies and the ideologies that to me it just seemed like such an amazing experience and one that I truly jumped on. That quote from Aristotle about sort of listening to all of these worldviews and entertaining them without necessarily adopting them has always stuck with me in my time in seminary and studying religious ideologies. And then also while I was studying philosophies like the great minds and perspectives from hedonism to existentialism, I actually studied philosophy my entire undergrad and found so much stimulation and frankly so much insight from the you know ancient thoughts of these individuals whose experience was so vastly different from ours but from whom i could get these these sort of glimpses of i don't even know how to describe it i could get these glimpses of what i thought to be insight and information about the way of the world and i think when you're you're a young adult you're really just trying to establish where you fit and you're just trying to understand the order of the universe i found the psychology of the people who entertained these ideas the most profound whether it was religious or philosophical in my philosophy courses i read a ton of socrates and man could he get down with a run-on sentence but i digress i also read a ton of aristotle he believed that life had but one primary purpose the pursuit of happiness. Now that I could get down with. If the primary purpose of life is happiness, it's no wonder we tend to spend a good deal of our lives pursuing the things we think that evoke happiness. What I've come to realize is that there is a midpoint between what some might call divine order or how and why things happen. In psychology, we call it you know, meaning finding, finding meaning, where we're trying to figure out how and why you know, things in life happen, and objective scientific facts. It's a midpoint where the two actually meet. And that kind of seems like impossible. It seems like opposites. It seems like you can't both have, you know connection and, and trust in the divine order while also being rooted in, in scientific inquiry and scientific facts. You can prove and you can rationalize through validated concepts with roots in the psychology of wellness that the reason things happen in life is actually rooted in quantifiable truths, in psychological concepts about the mind, about behavior, and essentially about our thought patterns. There's been a massive upswing about the talk of manifestation and how the law of attraction, or perhaps more behaviorally speaking, even private events like your thoughts, actually play a vital role in predicting and contributing to the life outcomes like happiness or, frankly, lack thereof. Though Instagram and the thousands of self-proclaimed experts without a lick of formal training in wellness, science, or psychology will have you believe that manifestation is some kind of magic that you too can achieve if you buy my course, product, or coaching service, the truth is, is that manifestation is totally accessible to you right now in this moment, and it's actually rooted in the science and psychology of behavior change. Here's the thing about manifestation. It's not magic. There's no secret sauce to obtaining happiness. Manifestation brings your goals to the forefront of your consciousness, which positions you to set actionable goals that will help you achieve them. Manifestation helps you prioritize without limiting beliefs. The process that has you switch gears away from mind traps, away from automatic negative thoughts that hinder your progress. 
Manifestation culture, as I call it, has you emphasize gratitude, which is scientifically validated to contribute to improved levels of happiness. Think about that. It has you visualize yourself thriving, successful, and reaching for your goals that your inner critic might tell you are out of reach. Manifestation culture has you reframe your perspectives. Instead of focusing on worries or what-ifs about the future or about a situation, manifestation culture has you replace the thoughts with the ideas of abundance. Instead of thinking, what if I fail miserably like I always do, the idea of abundance and that you are worthy of getting exactly what you want has you replace those thoughts with things like, when I succeed, I will, or when I obtain this goal, it will look like... If you're paying attention, you see what's happening here. Manifestation culture is using principles of cognitive behavior therapy. Guys, there's evidence-based mind hacks that have a boatload of research to support their use that are being incorporated into manifestation culture. They mitigate anxiety. They help people rewire their thoughts. They are the exact claims that manifestation experts, gurus, or just those who have had transformations, as they call them, report as outcomes. Manifestation culture practices an abundance mentality, one that includes a daily habit of affirming that you're worthy of achieving all of your goals and that you are just steps away from having everything you ever wanted. Think about how powerful that daily affirmation is for combating automatic, self-defeating, or inner critic thoughts. It's game-changing. We know from talking about our kids' behavior that we see more of what we focus on. If we focus on all the shitty things our kids do, we actually see more of it. We become more in tune with it. We forget to address the good things and only emphasize the bad. If we focus on all of the crappy ways a friend has let us down, we see more. We see the pattern repeat. On the flip side, if we focus on all the wonderful things we are grateful for, in relationships, our jobs, or just day-to-day life, we see more of it. It is a powerful psychological phenomenon that is backed by science. You can actually condition the mind to see the world in whatever way we color it. And again, it's not magic and it's not a secret sauce. It's a very real way that we can chip away at creating the reality we want. It's a very real way that we can actively pursue what Aristotle thought was the central purpose of human existence. And that is pretty freaking cool. And for me, that covers so much of how I try to live my life. But I mean, the reality is this is a process for all of us. It's really wonderful to say that we all have, you know, an abundance mentality or that we're all extremely grateful or that we're all, you know, experiencing these mind shifts. But the reality is we have to work for it. And like anything, any behavior, the principles of behavior science apply to working towards an abundance mentality and working towards improved outcomes. And for us, in this case, it's happiness. And what that means is that It's not enough just to know all of these facts. Knowing isn't enough. We also have to do it. Oh, and if you thought I was lying about having a baby on my shoulder, you know right now that I was not lying. I literally am bouncing a baby as I speak. So if I seem a little frazzled, I'm just keeping it real with you. 
So we use these abundance mentality thoughts and we use this manifestation culture ideology to really make these psychological principles, these CBT, cognitive behavior therapy approaches so relatable and attainable. And when we take out the science behind it, it seems so much more accessible to everyone. And doesn't it just make it feel a little bit more self-care-ish and a little less clinical? And at the end of the day, when we're trying to better ourselves and we're trying to improve outcomes, really self-care is at the root of all of it. And when it comes to improving our quality of life, if we can just leave with actionable steps, then don't you think that we're going to have better outcomes? Because I completely do. So I'm going to tell you what I do to work towards this abundance mentality and to try to shift my mindset. And it's so easy and you can do it too. So I wake up every morning and before I let my brain really start going for the day, I think about at least five things I'm grateful for. And at first, when I started this practice, I was thinking of the really obvious things like, I don't know, family, health, wealth, my home, shelter, food, all of those things. But after a couple days when you're listing five things per day, you're going to cycle through those things pretty quickly. And that's when I started to really hone in on the individual special little things that I might not have noticed before. Like for example, you know, I would wake up and and think, oh, I'm so grateful for the sunshine today. Or I would say, oh, you know, I'm really grateful for the smell of bacon cooking because, oh, that is so yummy. Things like that. Things that are not necessarily the most obvious. Um, you might say you're really grateful for a particular person as opposed to you know your entire family. So you're just going to go from general to specific as you do this. What you're going to find is the more you focus on gratitude, the more you see gratitude around you. And so like I said, I started noticing these things I was grateful for every day in the environment without being part of my sort of quote unquote morning ritual. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing that I want you to do when it comes to uh, thinking about actionable steps towards pursuing you know your optimized outcome, which is happiness, is I want you to think about big picture goals. Where do you see yourself in five years? What do you want in an ideal world? What would you have? And if these are material possessions, that's okay for now, but I bet you that your mindset will shift a little bit as you get deeper into this sort of process and this journey. So think about what you want. And then I want you to think about the actionable steps to get there. So if you want a degree, what do you need to do first? What do you need to do today to get yourself to a point that you will actually be there on the timeline that you predict? And I know that that might seem outlandish and that might seem like daydreaming, but once you have a clear picture of where you're going, you're going to know what those small actionable steps are going to be. And today that might just mean, you know, let's say you want to go back to school and you want to have a PhD in the next five years. Maybe you want an undergrad or you want a college degree. What do you need to do today? Well, if you think about getting a degree, that seems very over overwhelming, but today, maybe all you need to do is look up a couple programs. Maybe all you need to do is, you know, get a transcript from your last college and just have it so that you have it when you're ready to go. Maybe you just need to speak to a couple people in the industry to see which way you want to go. So I want you to set those things to paper. You can do it either in writing, you know, three to five year goals and and physically write them out by hand. You can make a Pinterest board. That can be really inspiring as well. Or you can create a vision board. I mean, all of these things, it doesn't matter how you do it. It just matters that you hammer it down. Scientists actually tested these theories. They set out to measure, among other things, some of the results of various happiness interventions, as they called them. In an experiment where participants wrote down five things they were grateful for each day, their happiness scores overall improved. 
But to take that a step farther, they actually found out that you could even extend your happiness, you could even increase your happiness beyond that score to an even higher score by simply sharing your gratitude with someone else. So in what they called you know, this, this gratitude sharing component of the study, they actually found that by simply expressing gratitude, so whether that's you know, writing a letter of gratitude or verbally providing a, you know, an acknowledgement of thanks and gratitude to someone in person, not only does your happiness increase, but the happiness of the person that you're sharing your gratitude with also increases. So you could extend gratitude to a colleague or an employee. Um, to a boss and they actually found that at least in the scope of the workplace someone who is thanked or who is given an expression of gratitude um, is actually more likely to work harder in the future and interestingly this applied to volunteer and you know paid positions and that's probably not a surprise to you if you've ever worked for a boss who you know, thanked you or, you know, regularly just showed their appreciation. Um, or conversely, if you ever worked for a boss who just never did that and you went to work and you had no motivation to, you know, show up and to do your best. Um, it's crazy, though, that, that this extends to unpaid roles because you would think that, you know, you're mo- more motivated by a position that pays you. And in fact, that's actually not necessarily the case um, if gratitude is in the mix. Um, you know, given all of this, it seems at least highly plausible that the incorporation of this sort of hashtag gratitude attitude um, is at least in part uh, part of why this manifestation culture, as I'm referring to it, um, has been real. And what I mean by real is, you know, is actually contributing to improved outcomes for those who practice it. Um, the other component of manifestation that includes goal setting um, is also linked to, you know, a positive outcomes and happiness. And we're talking about goals like big picture, um, your life, your career, your business trajectory, your family, your health, your fitness, and then sort of more objectively small picture uh, goals like, you know, your car or, you know, your material possessions, you know, that, that new pair of sunglasses or shoes or you know, that new bag that you want. Um, all of these things are impacted by your mindset, of course. Um, and if, you know, you're, you're in a sort of gratitude attitude and, you know, your improved happiness, then your, you know, your mindset is different and perhaps what you want is different as well. Um, like I said earlier, when we know what we want, we're able to take those steps to pursue what we want. It seems almost obvious, but it's something that we tend to miss a lot in day to day. We tend to dream big and then not be able to break that down into those systematic, actionable steps. The question sort of from a wellness perspective is how good are we at actually identifying what we want and does what we want or what we think we want actually contribute to our happiness. Will I actually be happy if I get that new pair of sunglasses or will I actually be happy if I get that promotion at work? Well, at least scientifically speaking, we kind of suck at that part of this whole thing. Um, I took a course at, not at, I wasn't actually there. I took a course online through Yale University Um, Don't be too impressed. It was a freebie that was offered, I I think, because of the coronavirus, because everybody was home. Regardless, it was was free and it was amazing. Um, It was hosted by a Yale professor, a brilliant woman, um, who studied psychology, um, I believe at the PhD level. And she spoke about the pursuit of happiness and the mistakes that we make along the way. Um, It was created as a course because they were finding that the students at Yale were overall um, highly stressed 
and they were in this really cool learning opportunity. You know, Yale is an Ivy League school and highly sought after sort of to be in, in that Yale environment. And, you know, the outcomes from going to Yale, you would assume, are, are pretty good. And they sort of thought, you know, you're the cream of the crop in terms of, you know, undergrads or graduate students. And yet, in terms of wellness, you guys suck. Um, to put it lightly. So they created this course and the psychologist sort of put a lot of work and compiled a lot of research and that's where some of the, you know, um, some of the research and some of the scientific studies that I've been chatting about in this podcast came from. Um, Anyway, so I I did this course and one of the major takeaways that that I found was that we actually really suck at knowing what's going to make us happy and I found that really interesting and from the perspective of this manifestation culture, um, we're expected to be able to decide what we want and then manifest it into reality. Um, and I, obviously, if you know me by now, you know I'm more scientific than to use the word manifest and sort of magical or will it into creation. It's not that we're willing anything into creation. It's that we're, we're actively pursuing what we want through through behavior, through a sequence of behaviors, a behavior chain that leads us to where we want to go. So we're not, you know, writing what we want on a piece of paper and putting it under our pillow and then in the morning the tooth fairy's left it behind. Um, obviously what we're doing is thinking about what we want, setting goals and working towards it and then calling it, you know, manifestation. Oh, I manifested myself into a new home um, by, you know, deciding that I wanted it, what I wanted it, um, you know, looking for new houses, making sure I was in an income bracket that I could afford what I wanted, getting a new job when I realized I wasn't, getting a new degree so I could get that new job, you know, and so on and so on. Um, so anyway, I digress as usual. Um, so anyway, according to, according to this brilliant professor and this course, we, we try to we try to decide what it is that we want, we pursue it, and then once we get it, we're not actually as happy as we thought, and, and why, and you know what that's what the whole course talked about, why, and what do we do, frankly, um, in terms of strategies for overcoming that. So insofar as our manifestation culture, in terms of what we're talking about, um, at the risk of sort of oversimplifying, we try to manifest or sort of set into motion the behavior that's gonna help us acquire what it is that we want, what, what it is that we've put on our vision board or on our goal list, um, list of you know things that we want to achieve in the next five to 10 years or maybe five to 10 days, depending on how long or short term you're thinking. Um, but what happens is, you know, let's say I decide that I want a new home or I decide that I want that new it bag, whatever it is, insert whatever it is that you might want, whether it's big picture or small picture. What tends to happen is that we get used to the thing once we get it. So, you know, we want that, whatever it is, that new bag, and then we get the new bag, and we're so excited at the thought of getting the new bag, then we get the new bag, and we're super happy because finally we got the new bag, um, or the new video game system, iPad, phone, whatever, um, but then what happens? We get used to it. We, we get bored of it, frankly, and then we move on to the next thing, and then we replace that item on our you know, vision board or on our list of you know, to-gets with something else, um, something more novel. And this is even further complicated by the fact that our relative happiness is measured against others. So, you know, we may, we may want something and we want it because we see other people with it. They look so happy. It seems so cool. Got to get that thing. We get the thing. The novelty wears off. And by the way, again, this is scientifically validated. It's not just, you know, 
it's not just a hunch. Um, and then we see the next it thing, whether it's that next degree, that next whatever it is, somebody else has it, they seem so happy, the grass must always be greener, right? Um, and that's the thing with happiness is that our minds perceive our own happiness relative to those around us. Um, we're influenced um, to get this or that, and then once we get it, the novelty wears off, it feels stale. Um, we, you know, it, we're further complicated as human beings by this sort of social media situation where we're seeing the highlight reel. Um, but you know, even before social media, there was there was other kinds of media. Um, Interestingly, there was a correlation between those who spent more time on social media and more time watching TV or movies um, and lower happiness scores. And that's because we're constantly, if we're constantly seeing things that are sort of irrelevant in terms of our own happiness, we're, we're seeing things that are not going to be meaningful for us in terms of comparison, but we're still comparing our lives to it. Um, whether it's our education, our financial status, our relationship, um, that takes away from our overall happiness. Um, and, and that's something that our, that our minds sort of trick us into doing. And our minds are really bad, actually, at knowing what is a valid comparison in terms of those around us. Um, if I am a frontline worker who is compensated accordingly, and I'm comparing my salary to the CEO of the company, that's perhaps an irrelevant comparison because the roles are completely different. Um, you know, similarly, if I'm constantly, baby came to say hi. If I'm constantly comparing myself to something that is not similar to what I'm doing, that's not beneficial for me. That's not gonna help me grow. Um, if I'm comparing myself to Michelle Obama, I'm gonna come up short in terms of wisdom, education, material possessions. Um, social comparison in itself is not bad. It's just that we really suck at knowing who is a realistic source of comparison. And it's not just people, but it's also things. Um, me comparing my house to my next door neighbor's house that's in the same neighborhood, um, that might be a worthwhile comparison. I can say, you know, whose lawn is nicer? Our lawns, you know, are a similar size and we can sort of say, oh, oh, he's winning. Maybe I should put a little more time and effort into my lawn. Um, but if I'm comparing my house to the White House, that's absurd. If I'm comparing my lawn to the lawn at the White House that's manicured by probably a team of 30 people, that's irrelevant. That makes no sense. Of course, I'm going to come up short. And of course, that's going to make me feel badly about my lawn. And why would you do that? But our minds don't have the capacity to filter what would be a reasonable comparison, like my next door neighbor's lawn, and what would be outrageous and just outlandish, frankly. Um, our, our minds really suck at knowing what kind of comparisons actually make sense for us in terms of, you know, pushing us forward and, and you know, understanding the, the order of the world um, and which are just going to make us, frankly, feel shitty. Um, yeah, I mean, we sort of always perceive others as being better off and that's where the expression, you know, the grass is always greener uh, comes from. Um, but I think understanding that our happiness is always perceived by our mind as relative is really important when it comes to understanding why we never really feel satisfied even when we get the things we want. Um, the other messed up thing about our mind is that we're setting our goals or our intentions for manifestation or just life in general. We tend to be wrong about how our happiness will be improved by the particular things or achievements that we want. Um, we tend to assume our happiness will be, you know, drastically improved by, say, a new car. But if you were to measure your happiness before and after getting the new car and compare it to how happy you thought you'd be after getting the new car, 
um, you'd be surprised to see that the car actually made you less happy than you thought. Um, and it's in part because of habituation and you know it just getting stale and then us wanting that next cool car. And in part just because um, we're, we tend to be pursuing in general things that are not linked to increased happiness even in best case scenario. Um, so what are some things that we can do about this? Um, it's, it's not all bad. We should definitely keep, you know, keep striving to do better and to, to be better and to get more things that we want and, and things like that. But we also have to be realistic in knowing where our true sources of happiness come from. Um, you know, gratitude, like we talked about, is one of the more powerful ways you can impact your happiness, regardless of what you have. So it's not, you know, we're not saying don't get the new bag if you want the new bag, of course, but also practice gratitude for having the new bag and practice gratitude overall in your life so that all of the things you have, you're more appreciative of. And then when you do get something new, something that's coveted, because you're never going to stop wanting, um, you're at least going to appreciate it more. And, and the act of appreciation in itself is highly val- valuable in terms of increasing you know, your overall levels of happiness and wellness. Um, but we knew about gratitude because we've spoken about that earlier. So what else? Well, I think the second component is mindfulness. Um, we tend to be on autopilot a lot. We don't um, we don't appreciate um, or experience the things around us. We tend to eat our lunch um, while scrolling Instagram or Facebook or while reading something for work or a book. We don't tend to do one thing in isolation. And doing one thing in isolation by default requires us to be mindful and not to be on autopilot. Um, the simple act of being present in the moment will help you appreciate the things you have, whether it's you know a cookie, or whether it's you know the the new phone that you really wanted, and then once you got it, you know you were kind of over it within you know the first forty eight hours. Um, mindfulness and being present, coupled with gratitude, is going to be really powerful um, in terms of increasing your overall uh, wellness and your overall happiness scores. And by the way, your happiness scores are an actual number. They're an actual thing. Um, There is a website that um, was provided to me when I did the course um, on the science of happiness. And I'm not sure if it's freely available to everyone, but I will have a peek. And if you want it, um, hop over to Instagram at magminds and shoot me a DM and I will see if I can find that link. And it's really interesting. You can actually sort of see your raw scores, like your numbers in terms of how happy you are. and um, for me, it was really insightful anyway. I think a lot of us tend to either over or under um, estimate how happy we are and, and having an objective number to sort of start from when you're then going to start implementing some new practices will actually give you some concrete data on the other end to see, um, objectively speaking, are you actually happier? Um, that is where I'm gonna stop for now so as not to completely overwhelm you and so that I can step away and um, give some love to the babe in my arms that you can probably hear grunting a little bit. Um, it's been so much fun talking about this. I absolutely love this topic and I'm gonna do a part two um, where I will deep dive into more of the hacks that were covered um, in this course and also just sort of link all of that with our discussion of manifestation uh, culture and that hashtag gratitude attitude we've been talking about. I'll sort of have it all come full circle then. So uh, make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss that one. And um, if you like this episode, then of course rate it because you know me, I love the data. I'm always looking for feedback. So feel free to hop over to Instagram at MagMinds or find me on Facebook. Um, it's been so much fun and thanks for hanging out.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Science Drives Wellness Steers. It's been amazing hanging out with you, and I am so grateful for your willingness to let me in. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a rating. I'm a behaviorist, remember, and I am all about that reinforcement and that data. Until next time, stay well and stay grounded.